Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. I just want to say it's really good we're having the Christmas Day service on Christmas Day this year. <laughs> How's all the Christmas shopping going? Are we there? You don't want to be going into Bromley this time of year. It's nasty. I heard a story about um, an older couple who um, left their shopping a bit late um, and you know, they decided to go in to get their Christmas shopping. Uh, they went into town. Uh, and they thought, oh, well, let's separate, let's, let's go our own ways, we can do this in half the time. So they separated, they agreed to meet up in a couple of hours, and, um, and they agreed at a certain place. Anyway, the wife turns up at the agreed time, but the husband isn't there. And she waits, and she waits, and, and, and after about half an hour, she thinks, I'm going to phone him. So she phones him and says, darling, where are you? And he replies, well, do you remember that jeweler's on the high street where we used to go? And she said, yes. And, she, and he said, you remember we used to stand and we used to gaze in the window, looking at all the expensive diamond rings. And she says, yes. He said, and there was that one ring that you really liked. And we talked about how one day we would get that ring for you. When the time was right, we would buy that. She said, yes. And, and her voice was catching in her throat. Her eyes were misting over. And the man said, well, I'm in the pub next door to that jeweler's. <laughs> It's the kind of thing I would do. <laughs> mean, nasty, cruel person. Anyway, so we're in our journey series, which is appropriate for this time of year. We know that the nativity story has a lot of journeys in it. There's lots of there's metaphorical journeys. There's, there's Mary and Joseph's um, uh, journey to belief fr from, from doubt, and there's Herod's journey, who you know, becomes very um, upset about the possibilities. But there are also uh, physical uh, journeys as well. And, and last week, Mark, or sorry, the week before last, Mark spoke about how journeys always have a beginning and a middle and an end. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed, often Christmas cards, they present these journeys. And I was, as I was preparing this, I was remembering how when I was younger, when I was a child, and I would be giving Christmas cards to the class, I'd buy a packet, of, a box of Christmas cards, and there would be some cards, and I would, I would separate them into what I thought was the good cards and the bad cards. There was the, and I hate to say it, it was the religious cards that were the bad ones, you know? <laughs> the boring ones, the, oh, the picture of Mary and Joseph on their way to Bethlehem, or the shepherds out in the field. And then there was the Father Christmas cards, or the reindeer, or Rudolph, and those would be the ones I'd give to my friends. And, and the other ones, anyway, I, I haven't sent any this year, so if you're just sitting there thinking, which one did I get from him this year? Um, but you'd have uh, kind of a picture, something like this. And here we've got kind of Mary and Joseph on their, on their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And the start of this journey, it was completely outside of their control. The Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, decided that it was time to have a census in all their empire. And so they had to make this journey. And it wasn't something that they wanted to do. It wasn't particularly comfortable for them, being uh, so heavily pregnant as Mary was. And that's how journeys often start, I was thinking. You know, circumstances outside of our control compel us into a course of action. And the only way through 
this particular journey is to actually go through it, to get to the other side. And you have to make the journey in order to get to the end. And then we have the journey of the, of the shepherds. Another dodgy Christmas card there. Um, uh, from the hills outside Bethlehem, their journey to the manger. Now, the beginning of this journey was quite different. This was, obviously, as Matt mentioned this morning, the angel's announcement. It was the shepherds were compelled by a sense of hope and by a sense of joy and, and a sense of not wanting to miss out on this brilliant opportunity. Uh, they say, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened. And it's like a, a childlike excitement after the angel's announcement. And it reminded me of our um, holiday last summer. Um, We went camping um, with my family. We were in a tent. And my brother came along as well. We were on the same site. And uh, some of you know my brother, Dom. And his son, I think he's four, his son, Caleb, he's such a great little guy. He's really positive about everything. He's really happy and excited and, and positive about every situation. And one day we were in our tent and we were, we, it'd been raining a lot and it was, it was kind of miserable. And we were eating our, I think we were eating our tea and we heard this little voice outside. Has anyone here ever seen a rainbow? <laughs> it's like, what? Because there's one outside right now. (laughs) So we quickly uh, mustered up the excitement and went to look at this rainbow. And Caleb was just jumping all over the place, so excited. And I can imagine the shepherds, you know, having this amazing experience of the angels. Let's go and see this. Let's go to Bethlehem. We've got to see this now. And at the end of the shepherd's journey, it says that they go back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that happened, for all that, for all that they had heard and seen. And when, when God moves us on a journey, often that needs to be the end result. We end up kind of worshipping God, glorifying and praising him. And then, of course, there are the wise men um, on their journey. Uh, uh, began with a, a sign in the sky. It began with a star and ended with them also falling at the feet of Jesus. And this is the journey that we're going to spend uh, this morning just looking at this, this journey of the of the Magi. So uh, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew where this is written, uh, chapter 2 in the first few verses. Let's just read this together. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
And now there are five distinct points that I want to bring out of this passage uh, uh, today in Matthew's description of the, the wise men, the magi, uh, the three kings, whatever they want to call them, um, uh, from their journey from the east to find Jesus. The first point is this, Jesus is king and Messiah and should be glorified. Now verse 2 immediately puts the whole journey into context. Uh, it says this, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. That's what the Magi asked Herod. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? So we're not talking about a baby who is going to become King of the Jews. We're not talking about a child who one day will become this king. We're talking about a, a child who has been born a king. And now right now in, in Britain, there's probably three or four children under the age of 12 <coughs> who will one day become prime minister. And we don't really seek them out. We don't think, oh, who, are the, who, who might they be? Because it's not yet. It's, they're just children at the moment. And then one day, something will happen. And, and we, we you know, talk about potential, or they have you know, this in them, the capacity in them. But actually, Jesus was born king. When he was born, he was king of the Jews. But not just a king. Um, that would be great news in itself. But verse 4 takes it a step further. And it's Herod who makes the next step, he says, uh, Herod asked where the Messiah was to be born. So they asked, where am I going to find the king of the Jews? Herod immediately equates that statement with the long-awaited Messiah. So he's not just king, he's Messiah as well. Now Herod himself, he had a title, and Herod's title by the Romans was king of the Jews. So he, he had held that title for nearly 40 years at this point. Um, and... Um, what's, uh, you know, what's interesting, he, was, he, was, he had never obviously been called Messiah. Uh, the Messiah was the long-awaited, God-anointed ruler who was going to overcome all the other rules and establish a kingdom that would last forever. This was the one uh, for whom the whole of Israel had been waiting for centuries. There had been so many prophecies hundreds of years earlier talking about the coming Messiah, and they'd been waiting for this uh, Messiah. And Herod immediately connects this visit from the Magi, asking for the one who was going to be born king of the Jews with the long-awaited Messiah. Now, I was thinking about this, and we don't know how the Magi got their information. How did they make that connection? And um, I just think it's interesting that 600 years previously, if we read the book of Daniel in the Old Testament... Uh, we're told that Daniel was actually, he, he was somebody who was exiled, he was a Jew who was exiled to Babylon. And then in Babylon, he made his way up the ranks. And it says he was appointed head chief over all the magi in Babylon and all the wise men. And so I'm thinking, well, this is probably how they knew what to look for. Daniel would have maybe you know, spoken about this and written about this. So the Magi had in their writings, their historical writings about this, one day there's a Messiah that was going to be born and to look out for the signs. So the Magi, um, they're not there looking for a, a normal human successor to Herod. They're there to find the Messiah and the one that could possibly signify the end of, of Herod's reign. And Herod asks this question to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law, and they immediately quote another Old Testament prophet. They quote Micah. Um, and in Micah it is written, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. So that talks about the where it's going to happen. 
Uh, but actually, if, if these chief priests and teachers of the law had read on a bit further, it would talk more about the who, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So Herod asked them where, but he didn't ask them who and what this Messiah was going to be look like. The Magi didn't know where. Because incidentally, Micah was written uh, quite a bit after Daniel. So, uh, you know, they wouldn't have had access to Micah's prophecies. So they wouldn't know where, which is why they immediately went to Jerusalem. But the Magi absolutely knew who. They knew the who, but they didn't know the where. Herod now knew the where, but he didn't really understand the who. And for us, it's really important in all the business of Christmas in all the parties and all the celebrations, that we're not just thinking about the, the what of Christmas or the where of Christmas or the how of Christmas, but actually we just keep it in front of our minds, the who of Christmas, the saviour of the world. So that's my first point. My second uh, point today is Jesus should be worshipped by everyone. And I think it's interesting that Matthew focuses on these magi from the east, um, rather than on the local shepherds. Luke focuses on the shepherds, talks about the shepherds coming. But Matthew, he talks about these, these foreigners, these guys probably from Babylon or uh, somewhere east. Um, and we know then that Matthew is kind of book-ended. At each end of the, of the Gospel of Matthew, you've got references to outsiders and Gentiles. Um, it starts with the, the, the Magi, the Gentiles, the foreigners coming to worship Jesus at the beginning. And the book of Matthew ends with uh, Jesus' final words, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And so Matthew's kind of got this universal approach or a global approach uh, to the gospel of Jesus. And uh, we know that God was never just interested in a, a local saviour, a messiah for the Jews. That wasn't his plan. His plan was a saviour uh, for the whole world. Um, obviously we see this uh, when God is talking to Abraham. He says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. All nations. It's not just a localised messiah. It's a global messiah. And this opened the door for us, for all Gentiles, for all peoples everywhere, to worship the messiah as saviour. And it's also further proof that Jesus is the Messiah. So many of the prophecies in the Old Testament refer to a Messiah who would be worshipped by people from other, and kings from other nations, and uh, important people from, from all over the world. And so the journey of the Magi, the, the journey of these wise men, actually is there fulfilling so many prophecies uh, as well. Okay, my third uh, point from this scripture is God uses the universe to make Jesus known and worshipped. God uses the universe to make Jesus known and worship. And we know that in scripture there are a number of things that happen that can be a bit baffling at times, right? Um, we don't have a full understanding of certain things that we read about and, and how things can physically happen. We, you know, it might take the parting of the Red Sea or the crumbling of the walls of Jericho. Jesus walking on water. We know from a human perspective these things, they op 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 operate outside the realm of, of science as we know it. And I think the only way that we can get through these particular uh, questions and this particular journey is to apply faith. 
and true belief in Jesus has faith at its core. And so we come to this star, the star of Bethlehem. How did, how did a star get these, these wise men, these fellas, to drop everything hundreds of miles away and make this journey uh, to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem? How does a star go before somebody? move before somebody how does a star stop over the place where Jesus was how does that happen obviously it doesn't make sense uh, from a scientific perspective and um, honestly we can't really provide answers and there are numerous people who make suggestions in fact I was watching a a program uh, called the star of Bethlehem Uh, it's a a DVD it's also on YouTube Um, and uh, it's really compelling, actually. A guy called uh, Rick Larson, um, he decides to use astronomy software to try and work out the mathematics of, of, of what the star could have been. And in fact, it all dates back to um, a guy in the 17th century called Johannes Kepler. And this guy, clever guy, he was a mathematician, a German. Um, all mathematicians are really clever. That's right, Matthew's nodding there. Um, <laughs> And what this guy did, I don't know if you've heard of him, he was the guy who, who came up with the mathematics of the movement of the stars and planets, of how, how it's possible to predict the movement of any particular star at any time, which is amazing in the 17th century. Obviously, he didn't have computers to work with. He was just working with pen and paper, and he came up with, with the, um, uh, what's called the mathematics of planetary motion. And obviously, without the software to do all the millions of calculations necessary, it was quite limited. But obviously, in the last 20 years, we now have the facility to to apply his his mathematics in a real sense. And in fact, I have an app, which I'm just going to quickly show you, just because it's kind of interesting. Um, If we can get it up on the screen. We have the technology. Oh, look at that. Yay. So with this app, I can look at any point in the sky. I can also choose the date and from any point on the Earth see what the night sky looks like just by pointing in the right direction. The sun should be over there, although we haven't seen that for a few weeks. Um, Hopefully that'll come back soon. But anyway, I mean, obviously Kepler didn't have this. We can go back um, back to the screen now, Luke. Um, Johannes Kepler didn't have anything like that, but this guy, Rick Larson, did, and he bought this astronomy software, and he decided to, uh, to research, and so he researched around about the date of the 0 BC, and um, he found that, I think it was in 3 BC, there was this conjunction of, of planets and stars. Actually, I would recommend you we watch it. It's really fascinating. It's uh, kind of quite compelling. Um, and... Um, at the same, you know, and, he, and he found that actually you know, there was a star and the way that the stars moved, it could have stopped or it looked like it was stopping because it was changing direction at the right time. Um, but I also think at the same time, it's important not to become preoccupied with the science of things, uh, with theories, trying to make an answer to everything that God does. Um, sometimes we search for human answers from a God who is omnipotent and omnipresent and um, omniscient. And, and actually, sometimes we just need to go, God, I just believe in you. 
and I have faith that you can, you know, you made all this stuff. So actually, if you want to start to stop, you can just do that, and you can make that, make that happen. What we do know um, is that there are some important things that we should focus on, uh, things like the holiness of God, the ugliness of sin, the helplessness of man, the death and resurrection of Jesus, justification by faith, sanctification by the Spirit, and the glorious coming back of Jesus. Those are things that we can apply our faith and apply our time thinking about. Um, what we do know about the star is that God controls all the events in the heavens and he was guiding the Magi to the Son of God in order that they bring him worship. That was his plan, was that they would bring him worship. And God is guiding these Gentiles to the right place at the right time by exerting these universal influences. And this isn't unusual for God. All the way throughout scripture there are references to, to God uh, using the heavens and controlling the stars in order to bring about and to accomplish his purposes and to speak to mankind. In uh, the Psalms, David writes this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world. Their words to the ends of the earth. That's in Psalm 19. And I think that's interesting how David himself was, was giving the, the, the stars and the, 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 the sky and the heavens a voice. Giving them a voice. They're talking to us. And in fact, when Paul is writing to the Romans, he quotes this scripture uh, in, in a slightly different context. He says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they, this is referring to the Jews, not hear? <coughs> of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. He's using, David's talking about the stars and he's saying, look, if they've got no other voice, if they've got nobody else telling them about Jesus, the heavens, the stars, talk about it. The heavens declare who God is and declare his majesty. They talk to us. So we see God um, influencing the Magi using the stars to, to guide them on their way. We also see God influencing the Romans to bring about the, um, uh, the census at just the right time so that Joseph and Mary would end up in the right place at the right time. We see God using these angels to influence the shepherds to make their journey from the hills to the stable. So this is God's design. He's, he's doing it always. He's always done it. He does it now and he always will. He brings people to him. He influences people to come to him in order that there's worship, in order to bring worship to God. And maybe you have here this morning and uh, you're feeling a pull and uh, you're feeling compelled by something that you're feeling here today. And it's no accident that you're here. And, and I would say, that as we kind of work our way through, the, through this service today, that don't ignore that pull. Don't ignore that influence. God is calling you on a journey. We also know that the, uh, the message of Jesus brings about opposition. So we've got four points here. Jesus is king and Messiah should be glorified. Jesus should be worshipped by everyone. God uses the universe to make Jesus known and worshipped. And the message of Jesus does sometimes bring about opposition. 
There are two kinds of people uh, we read about in Matthew's account who don't want to worship Jesus. They don't want to go on this journey. First of all, there are those who do nothing. So we look at the response of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And I want you to imagine that you're a, a priest. You're one of these guys. Maybe you're a, a vicar or a pastor. And you have this, uh, somebody's come to you and said, look, uh, there's all these signs the Messiah has been born in Alpington. That's pretty much what the journey was from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It was five miles. And you've been told that possibly the Messiah is born five miles away. What are you going to do? This is the one you've been waiting for forever. This is the one you've been waiting for for all these years. The long-awaited Messiah. You read the prophecies. You know all about him. And uh, some people come and tell you, actually, the Messiah is born at last. What are you going to do? You would think you would go and visit. You'd go and find out. Just check it out. You'd be curious, right? Well, Herod, he asks these guys where the Messiah is to be born, and they tell him, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then they go about their business and carry on their way as if nothing has happened. They're not even prepared to make that short distance, those five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, to check it out. This saviour they've been waiting for. Now verse 3 says that Herod and all of Jerusalem is disturbed. There was a rumour going around that the Messiah has been born. And I can't believe the inactivity of these religious guys. Is, I think it's staggering. They're just not interested. And they don't want to worship the Messiah. I guess he might get in the way of their religion. And in fact, they're right, he will. And eventually he does get in the way of their religion, in a big way, and does mess things up for them as far as they're concerned. And eventually they end up not just ignoring him, but actually being open, hostile towards him. Uh, just the same as Herod. So we've got, we've got kind of indifference at the start by these chief priests, but at the same time you've got Herod, who is not just indifferent, he's threatened. He feels so threatened by him. He's afraid that the Messiah represents an end to his own reign, his own power, his own kingship. He's king of the Jews. I'm king of the Jews. What's this they're coming saying? There's a new king of the Jews? That can't happen. And um, he schemes and he lies and eventually he's willing to commit mass murder just to protect, protect his own position. And I think we do see the same types of people today uh, in terms of opposition to Jesus. We have people who are indifferent who, um, uh, they, you know, they're, they're just not interested. Oh, I'm fine. My life's fine as it is. I don't need that. Uh, and there are those who are openly hostile um, because they feel threatened, rejecting God because they feel like they're going to lose control of their life, which is, which is madness. And we know that in Scripture it tells us that actually Jesus says in, in, in Luke, uh, whoever tries to keep his life will actually lose it. And those who are prepared to lose control, let go of their life, will actually gain it and will find it. So why not let this Christmas be the time where you reconsider who the Messiah is. Reconsider your approach to, to Jesus. And just see what type of journey, what journey uh, God will bring you on when you give your life in worship to him. Which brings me to my fifth and final uh, point from this story. What does worshipping Jesus actually look like? What does it look like? And, you know, the, uh, the Magi, they do various things 
Um, first of all, they acknowledge his authority. They ascribe him authority. They call him king of the Jews. They know they're coming to worship somebody who is um, over them. The second thing they do, they come in humility. They fall <coughs> on their knees. And we sing that in their great carol, uh, O Holy Night, fall on your knees. And this is what the, uh, the shepherds do and it's what the, the wise men do. They come before Jesus and they fall on their knees in humility, bowing down to worship, saying, you are high and I am low. The third thing they do is they come with rejoicing. Um, actually, the ver- verse 10, it says um, uh, they come over, th- and they're, they're overjoyed as they come on that final bit of the journey. Actually, the real, the translation of the, um, the Greek here actually says they uh, come uh, rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, which pretty much nails it, doesn't it? They don't just come rejoicing. They don't just come rejoicing with joy. They don't even come rejoicing with great joy. They come rejoicing exceedingly with great, with great joy. They were happy. They were really happy. They were rejoicing. Why did they feel this way? Because they were on their way to worship the Messiah. They were on their way to worship the Saviour. David in the Psalms uh, puts it like this, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. When are we going to go there? We're going to go and worship. I was so glad. How did you feel this morning about coming to church? Did you rejoice exceedingly with great joy? Yeah? When I woke up, my boys this morning, they weren't rejoicing exceedingly with great joy at seven o'clock. They're like, really? Yeah, come on, we're going to go and do this. We have this wonderful opportunity to worship together every Sunday. I love it. I really love it. I love coming. In fact, I I, I don't want to miss a service. I often come to both because I think if I miss one, something might happen and I don't want to miss out. I love coming here on a Sunday. There's nothing like it. And I love being with you guys. I love worshipping with you. There's something powerful in this. In fact, a few weeks ago, uh, we have our life group every Monday and uh, we start at at 8 o'clock. And a few weeks ago, I got held up at work and it doesn't normally happen. I normally uh, get on time, but I got held up at work. I was dealing with a a student and, and I arrived about half an hour late to life group. And this particular life group, we decided to have a, an evening of worship. And, uh, and I, so I came in at half eight and you know, kind of snuck the door and, and sat down. And everybody was just in worship. And I sat there and oh good, I'm going to get into worship now. And I, and I really tried. And I really struggled. And, I'm, and I was sat there and go, come on, let's, 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 just get, let's just get right into this. And, and, I, and I tried my hardest to, 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 to get into the, you know, there was already an atmosphere in the room. And I really struggled, and, and it's obviously shame on me. But it got me thinking about the importance of coming together on time. And what I'm not going to judge anyone, I'm not going to have a go this morning, but there is something powerful about starting together. And, and what I realised is that when I'm late, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on something. On, you know, I, if I turn up late to a worship service, I, maybe, maybe some of us do that and we struggle to, to enter into the worship. There is something 
so powerful. Now, there are other reasons why we can say, oh, it's good to be on time. It helps the, it helps the, uh, the rock uh, workers kind of work through their program. It stops people being disturbed as we're coming in. But actually, I think the most important thing is you will engage that much more. If you're here 10 minutes early, have a chat with somebody, speak to somebody, speak life into somebody, encourage each other, and then the first chord starts and we just all worship together. Is it okay to say that? Yeah. Is it okay to say that? I think if you're, you know, obviously things happen sometimes and sometimes circumstances prevent us, but if you know you're somebody who is often late, I would encourage you to try getting here on time and just seeing what a difference it makes to your experience here when we're all together on time doing this. Okay, so we can all join together raising our worship, our praise, just like the wise men did, rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, um, ready to worship the one who deserves all our praise. The final thing that these uh, magi did, uh, their worship looked like, was they brought gifts. They brought, they brought their presents. And... We could do a whole series on what the gifts of these wise men represented. We know that there's gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's a kingship and priesthood. And myrrh represents you know, the suffering and the death of Jesus that was going to happen later. Uh, there's so much symbolism in there. Um, but I think it's important to realize actually when we come to worship, we also bring gifts. We know that in the service we, we bring our tithes and offerings that Caroline spoke about and we bring, we bring our time and we bring our singing. Um, but actually it says uh, in Romans, it said, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Yeah. Offer your bodies. We bring our whole selves as a sacrifice. It says this is your true and proper act of worship when you bring your whole self into worship. A submitted life a heart of worship, and a life of righteousness. This is what we bring. So I guess my uh, challenge this morning is to taking this journey into Christmas, taking it seriously this year, whether we feel outside circumstances are compelling us on this journey, whether we've, got, we've had some signs that have brought us here today, or whether it's simply a sense of hope and joy and rejoicing that have brought us here uh, this morning. Let's follow through. Let's not spend too much time focusing on the, the where we're going to do Christmas, the what of Christmas, the how of Christmas. Let's make sure we focus on the who. Let's make sure we focus on the who because we understand the why. We understand the why. We know why he came and did what he did.